This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria Tellez interviews Robert Hamilton Owens, the author of Beyond Average, Developing Yourself Through the 20 Times Principle. Robert is a man of many hats. He's been and done a lot. Mountain climbing, radio and TV personality, keynote speaker, minister, Ironman, philanthropist, triathlete, special ops pararescue man, and father of five, to name a few. But of all the pursuits he's undertaken, there's one title that best describes this literal force of nature. Robert is the fittest 66-year-old in the world, period. For more than 25 years, Robert has been speaking before audiences as large as 50,000, from San Diego to Moscow, on motivational and leadership topics. His past clients include the Navy SEALs, New York Jets, the Baltimore Ravens, the Philadelphia Eagles, South African Parliament, the Vietnamese Department of Foreign Affairs, and the Philippines Joint Chiefs of Staff. He's been invited to address the South African Parliament and has made five trips teaching officials in the Vietnamese Department of Foreign Affairs. During 22 of those years, he hosted the regional Fox Network television program Leadership for Changing Times in Reno, Nevada, where by two separate governor's appointments, he also served for eight years on the Nevada State Judicial Ethics Committee. While it takes extraordinary physical condition to be in the Air Force Special Ops or to best the many Ironmans he's bested, Robert will readily affirm that success in these physical endeavors and in life in general is as much a matter of will and mental attitude as it is physical conditioning. When most have long since slowed as they approach their golden years, the fittest 66-year-old in the world continues to routinely take on unprecedented challenges and to help others to see what can be achieved in their own lives. Meet Robert at roberthamiltonowens.com. Here is the interview with Robert Owens. In your own words, who is Robert H. Owens? Um, he's a guy that's just been growing and learning and experiencing life uh, for decades. And uh, it's been fun to grow and to um, challenge myself and to uh, try to be a role model for others in how we age and uh, in life. So I've been a consultant for a long time and a, and a coach and a trainer and um, military special ops guy. So it's been a fun life. Before we talk about some specific topics in your book, it's titled Beyond Average, Developing Yourself Through the 
20x principle. So I have these warm-up questions, as I mentioned off record. The first one for you, what is the meaning of aging to you? Um, just going through the different cycles of life. Do we learn specific lessons from the aging of the body? You know, I think some people do. I think some people um, just are, are existing and they just find whatever they do, they do. Others, um, like myself, I say that we choose how we age. And if we invest in ourselves at least an hour a day for, for health, we find that we age differently than if we just are lazy and unfocused and let our bodies do whatever they want to do. You speak of average. This is a theme in your book and your work. What is to be an average person? I think an average person is a person that just is on autopilot. He's just cruising. He doesn't have any big goals or she doesn't have any big goals. They just sort of roll with whatever happens in their lives. And um, they don't aspire to do much more than just exist and, and get a paycheck and pay their bills and pay their taxes and raise their kids and survive. Why do you think is that, Robert? Why do they think that way? Or do they live that way? <laughs> you know, everybody's different. They're all raised in different homes, in different environments and cultures. And I think the people that have influence on your life have a lot to do with the way that you live and dream and, and uh, set goals and age. So um, some people just don't know any better. Some people are, are discouraged and not encouraged to dream bigger dreams or to try things that are difficult or, you know, everything that we want is usually outside of our comfortability. And most of us want to be comfortable versus being uncomfortable. So um, people just put it on autopilot and cruise. And they just, just sort of survive and live it's what I would say an average life. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And this is one of the topics that we discuss here. It has been a long time since I talked to someone about being uncomfortable. I know it's important to rest. It's very important for the heart, especially. It's okay to be stressed, but it's not a good idea to stay stressed. So I wonder, what is the balance? How can we find that balance of being uncomfortable, but at the same time, balanced? You know, um... What I tell my students and what I tell people when I lecture, I say to them, when you um, want to do something great, when you want to do something very difficult or challenging, um, you cannot live a balanced life for that season of that life because you have to live an unbalanced life where you're focused um, like a laser on your target, on your goal for that three month or three year period of time. And then you can go back and live what some people will call a balanced life later. And so you have to find out what you want to do and how bad you want to do it. And then are you willing to pay the price to focus, which, which makes you unbalanced for a season of time. And so if you want to run a marathon, you have to spend a period of time getting ready. Afterwards, you can go back and, you know, live, live the way you want to. But for that period of time, you have to, you have to be focused. So I, I, at times, am somewhat balanced. And other times when I'm attacking my goals or want to do something that seems impossible for me or difficult, then I ask my wife, my kids, hey, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be unbalanced for a while. Is that okay with you? <laughs> That's great. And I get to sign off and then they say, sure, go ahead. That also makes me think about the idea of waiting to be happy, waiting 
to enjoy life, uh, to rest, to have fun, to love. So do you think it's okay that we do everything we can to achieve a goal and to do what we want to do, even though we could even die, lose the body, <laughs> trying to get there? You know, um, I find that many people are not happy with themselves and therefore they cannot be happy with others. And I think that uh, a major portion of a person's um, life is, is um, tackling difficult things. I'm sort of of a different group. I believe for mental strength and for happiness, you have to have wins. And every day you should have a win, whether the win is saying no to the donut or the win is saying yes to exercise or the win is saying, uh, I'm going to go out and uh, love on people today and I'm going to get, I'm going to find joy and happiness after I've given, then it's given to me. And so I think that happiness and all those things we're looking for comes after we've wrestled with ourselves. And I think that most people don't want to wrestle with themselves because it's difficult, but I believe that you, you can't progress without tackling the difficult things in your life, whether it's forgiveness or it's exercise or it's uh, discipline. Uh, once you've done something that's difficult in your life, you feel better about yourself and you have a win. And most people would like wins, but they don't want to do the difficult things. In a way is um, paying the price to be authentic, to be happy. And even if we don't get there, the journey was enough. It was worth it. So my next question is about success. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful? I think successful is uh, doing the things that you want to do and being the person that you want to be. And I, I think that we all have different types of success. But when you look in the mirror and you like who you are, you like what you do, you like what you do for others, um, and you've accomplished things that you want to accomplish, I think that contributes to success. And um, true leadership, what is that, in your opinion? Uh, for me, leadership is where people um, follow you because you have influence. And so I usually tell my folks when I'm lecturing and stuff, leadership is influence. Um, and we all have influence, whether it's good influence or bad influence, with all kinds of people. And so uh, for me, if you're influencing someone, whether you're mean to or it just happens, I guess that would put you in a position where you are a type of leader. I like in your book, you have this um, it's a quote, you quote Mark Devine. It is 80% mental and 20% physical. Time is irrelevant. Stay in the moment. So who is Mark Devine? And talk to me for a moment about mental toughness. Mark Devine is a retired Navy SEAL officer, a commander, and he started a program to train Navy SEAL candidates for the Navy. So the Navy said, we are not getting the right candidates in the Navy. We'd like to have a pre-course where kids would come and you would train them because you're a 22-year Navy SEAL officer. 
and that you would prepare them that when they came in the Navy, they'd do better. And so he started something called SealFit, which was a CrossFit gym. And he took the CrossFit gym and made it into a SealFit gym, training with Navy SEAL things. And Mark Devine um, is a mindfulness coach. He has a program called Unbeatable Mind. And it's the things that they they teach and that we teach in the special ops community. I was a U.S. Air Force special ops pararescueman. Mark was a Navy SEAL. And what we teach is that some things become overwhelming. And so instead of, as they say, eating the whole elephant, eat the elephant one bite at a time, meaning break your, your situation down into many goals. And stay in the moment means can you just do the next thing in front of you? Don't worry about what's going to happen an hour from now. Can you just stay in the moment and, and breathe and get emotional control and do the next thing in front of you? And so when we test young men and young ladies, we on purpose overwhelm them because we want to develop confidence, but we also want to teach them how to not be overwhelmed when it's our job to overwhelm them physically, mentally, emotionally. And so we teach them about staying in the moment and breathing correctly, deep nasal breathing, and do the next 10 seconds or the next 10 moments and just stay in the moment. And you can stay in the moment for hours and hours and hours without being overwhelmed by the whole big elephant that's in front of you. Wow, that sounds really great to me. And that, of course, makes me think about meditation, the practice of meditation. Is that also part of the training? It is. Yeah, we, we train our Navy SEAL guys, active duty Navy SEALs, as well as Air Force Special Warfare, Army Rangers, Marines. We teach them about meditation, and we try to get them to focus and center their minds, get a, a control of their inner dialogue, uh, develop a witness inside, if you know the terminology, and begin to break down the things that they're facing so that they can get their heart rate down and they can begin to get emotional control and figure out the puzzle that's in front of them instead of being overwhelmed. And so we work with them to get them to meditate more and more and more uh, in their lives. And we find that it helps also with PTSD. Uh, prior to PTSD, learning how to get control of your mind and your emotions. And then after you've been in the military, it helps you work on the PTSD that you've received, maybe through, through trauma. And so we work with mindfulness, mind, not mind control, but learning how to control your thinking and positivity, neuroplasticity, and all those things that we work with in meditation. Let me ask you a big question, the warm-up questions. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience? Well, that's a big picture question. I think the purpose is to, to know God and to know yourself and to do good works. What, where, and who is God to you? Um, I come from a Judeo-Christian background, and so... Um, I believe there's a God in heaven, and I believe that he um, has created us, with, and he's created us with purpose. And we're to discover the purpose for which he wired us and gifted us and has enabled us to function here on this earth. Do you believe we have 
one major purpose throughout our lives or our purpose it keeps changing from time to time i believe um it changes and i believe it changes with every decade so i believe that my purpose in my teenage years was different than my purpose in my 20s different than my purpose in my 30s with five kids different now in my 60s as a grandparent um i think my purpose evolves if there is one message you have to send to adopted kids and also kids with special needs what would that be robert it would be that you're not a victim and don't play the victim um most i i tell people you know it's okay for a baby to have a diaper and it's okay with a for the baby to poop in its diaper but if you see a 20 year old with a diaper on and a, re- a poopy diaper with a red rash you'd say change your diaper dude and most people don't want to do the hard work to change the stuff that they've gone through so um they stay a victim and they create a world around that victimization and why people should see them in the light that they want to be seen and that's called immaturity and lacking responsibility to deal with your stuff and and work it through. And what are some of the ways we can identify that kind of role or that kind of game within our own minds of being a victim? Um listening to the excuses we have for the things that we do. That would be one do you and does anything come to mind anything else like blaming others would that be one too? Well, sure, but I mean, like, let's say you're an alcoholic, and the reason you're an alcoholic is because you were sexually abused as a kid. Um, just because you're sexually abused as a kid doesn't mean that you have to be um, tortured the rest of your life and use alcohol as a crutch. So um, you're using alcohol because you've chosen alcohol. No one made you to do alcohol. You chose it, and you need to look in the mirror and say, this is not the best way for me or for my family to handle my pain. I need to go work on getting through that pain in a socially acceptable way that helps my family and is not detrimental to my family. In your book is one of um, your leadership lessons. You say the unexpected happen. You must enjoy the unexpected challenges. So that is a very interesting statement. You must enjoy So let me ask you a few questions. What do you think is the world's greatest need at this time? Um, sensitivity, sensitivity to others, right. sensitivity to um, people in need, and then the compassion to be a part of a solution to help others. Yeah, sensitivity in a sense of empathy, would you say? They are connected? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I say, you know, if, if my kids have shoes, your kids ought to have shoes. If my kids have food, your kids ought to have food. If I have liberty and justice for all, there should be liberty and justice for all. So it's not all about me. It's about others as well. And so it's it takes work to think from someone else's point of view, not just your own. So talk to me for a moment about the challenges that you have faced in 2020 with the coronavirus and everything else that's happening? You know, um, I came home from doing the seven marathons and seven days on seven continents. And I just felt like I was going backwards physically. And um, 
So I, I finally said to my coaches, you know, something is not right. And I finally, one day I, I uh, woke up and said, I'm having a heart attack. So we went to the hospital and I told the doctor I'm having a heart attack. And they said, well, you're so calm. You know, and I said, well, I'm just, just having a heart attack. So let's deal with it. And I had the three stents put in. I had a lower right ventricle that had been closed and blew up. And so that was an interesting challenge. Uh, again, I try not to have problems. Uh, problems are negative. I try to have challenges and challenges are positive. And so I, try, I said, okay, great. What am I going to learn from this heart attack? And um, it was interesting making a comeback and getting physically back where I wanted to be. And then I got COVID. And when I got COVID, I went, well, this is interesting. You know, again, this is another adventure. It's not a deal breaker. It's not going to kill me, uh, but it's not going to be comfortable. So I guess I'm going to have to experience COVID and ride this thing and see what happens. And so my wife got it and I got it and we came through it and it, everything was fine. I got my sense of taste and smell back after about a month and um, everything's good except my lungs are not quite the same as what they used to be. It feels like, like at times I have a corset on around my chest. And it, uh, it's what I would imagine at times someone who has emphysema may feel like with their lungs, meaning you just don't feel like you're getting the deep breathing or the oxygenation that you used to. And so the next adventure for me is to continue to, to work on my lungs and find out what makes lungs healthy and take this as another adventure in my life versus a victim. Kind of makes me think about spirituality and people who have been practicing some uh, spiritual rituals and meditation being one of them. And that's the way they think. That's the way they live. So you have had many athletic achievements. So my question is, why did you choose to challenge yourself in so many different ways? You know, um, the book says, you know, the title is Beyond Average. And I thought that I was just a normal kid until um, some coaches said to me, you know, Robert, there's more in you than you know. And you've not... Uh, allowed someone to push you mentally or emotionally or spiritually or physically to those new places inside you that are untapped. And so when I let someone push me and hold me accountable, they said, you're smarter than you think you are. You can do more than you think you can do. And if you'll let us, we'll, we'll show you that there's more in you. Once I found out that there was more in me and that I was basically lazy and I liked excuses and I was happy to just cruise versus develop myself. Once I figured out that there was more there, then my life has been a series of, I wonder if, you know, okay. I wonder if, <laughs> yeah. I wonder if, and then if I hang around the right people and I say, I wonder if, and they go, you probably can. <laughs> and I say, you think so? And they go, yeah, you ought to try. And so my life experience is I went from being mentally average, cruising, lazy, excuses to um, I don't have the right to have excuses because um, there's more in me that I've been willing to look at in the mirror. 
And so every decade I've thought something physically like, I wonder if, and people say, don't do it, you know, because if you hang around mediocre people, <laughs> they want to keep you as small as they are. And if you're around people that don't have a lot of drive or a lot of goals, you know, they want you to be like them, you know, alcoholics or drug addicts want you to stay with them because it makes them comfortable. So if you break away and say, you know, I'm going to be different, you know, I'm not going to believe that. And I change my friends and begin to spend time with only positive people who said, I bet you can, I bet you can. Um, my grades in college went up, my athletic things exploded. I attempted things that I thought were nearly impossible. But if I trained correctly and had the right mentors or coaches, it seems that I was able to do that. So, you know, 12 Ironmans later, I'm one of the original Ironman guys from way back in 1980 when people, there was only a hundred of us. And, um, it was a dare, you know, in a magazine, you only show up with your A game. We dare you because only crazy people show up. And I thought, that's not that crazy. I can do that thing. And so um, I've, I've just been enjoying reading books or taking classes or physically doing things that most people say, why are you doing that? And I say, because I think it's going to be fun. I think I'm going to learn something. And then they say, wow, you did it. And I go, yeah, wow, I did it. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's amazing. I didn't know that I could do it, but I thought I might be able to. So it's, it makes for a fun, adventuresome life, especially if you're role modeling in front of your kids. And you say to them, you know, what's your excuse? Well, I'm not cute, or I'm not skinny enough, or I'm not heavy enough, or I'm not tall enough, or, you know, I don't like math. Well, you can get over that if you want. And, you know, there's more in you than you think. And then you help them grow, and they get confidence, and they do stuff. And I got a phone call from my oldest daughter on Sunday morning, and she said, Dad, you know, you've invested lots of time in me and lots of things in me, and I want you to know the good things that are happening in my life because of all the stuff that you encouraged me to do. And she was having a win. And I just said, that's great at 37 years old. That's great. You're doing wonderful. And she just said, thanks for believing in me and encouraging me to do more than I thought I could do. And I said, no problem. Somebody did it for me. And I can do it for you kids. When I do my speaking to groups, I love to do that part because everyone has at least two people inside them. The person that they live every day and the person they wish they could be. And the the gap between who you are you feel stuck and everything's, you know, going against you, or it's just been like this for so long versus the person that you dream about inside. I wonder if I could do what that person does or this person does. And when you, when you get that gap and you see that it just takes saying no to some things to say yes to some other things and you can change, then people's eyes get real big. And I get letters and emails from around the world. People saying, you know, I heard one of your podcasts and I believed it and I tried something and it changed my world. And I'm doing things now I've never done before. And I go, that's tremendous. That's, it happened to me, it can happen to anybody. Do you think that we can achieve this state of mind, a state of being, becoming fearless? Um, I don't know that we can ever become completely fearless, but we can surely learn to control our fears and not let them derail us or cause us to do incorrect things. So I, I don't think fear is ever going to be eradicated from anybody, but um, there are ways to deal with it quickly so that it doesn't dominate your thinking and you make bad decisions. So 
What would you say is one or two methods of doing that, not letting fear to control us in certain moments? Well, as I mentioned before, when we train Navy SEALs to come down under a helicopter into a firefight, and there's bullets flying everywhere around, or Air Force Special Warfare guys, pararescuemen. When, when they come in that situation, it's not uncommon for fear, anxiety, panic, uh, emotional instability to come into our minds. And so we teach the big four principles. And the big four is this. Number one, we teach breathing. And we teach proper breathing. And we teach that breathing controls your emotions. And breathing controls your thinking. And we teach them how to breathe in such a way that it stops the negative dialogue in their head. And it gives them a chance to reboot with the positive from their training that they've been trained to do. So they can stop the panic, stop the anxiety, stop the fear by breathing, practice their breathing real quick. Break that, that mental train of thought and then rewire their brains because they practiced it so many times with then number two positive self-talk out loud talk to yourself positive because when you're talking out loud to yourself you may look crazy but you can't be thinking negative thoughts while you're talking out loud positive thoughts and then we do mini goals just do something and begin to to operate again go back to your training do the first thing you know to do the second thing the third thing and then fourthly, we see visualization and we say to them, see this thing working out for you as you go through your steps, your protocol, your routine, your training. And you take your brain out of it and you do what your training has trained you to do by, by causing those thoughts that are in your head to come out. They've just been sidetracked for a moment or two because of fear, or panic or anxiety. And so you can get to that state where you can have mental control, you call it mental toughness, to not get rocked when everybody else around you is being rocked. And so we train people in those big four of breathing, visualization, positive self-talk, and uh, um, mini goals. And so it, when you do that over and over again, um, it's really fun. There was a lady, I was, I was doing a lecture for a company and there was about 150 people in the room. And I said to the HR lady before I spoke, I said, how many people are on meds for different kinds of things? And she said, oh, we have lots of people on meds. And I said, okay. So I got this group and I said, how many of you take medications at night for anxiety and panic attacks and those kind of things? And different people raised their hands. And I had, I said, may I ask some of you some questions? And so there's a lady in the back and I said, hey, ma'am, um, tell me what your deal is. And she said, you know, I've been taking medication um, for about 15 years, uh, I wake up around midnight, one o'clock in a panic, breaking a sweat. And I, I've had it for years. And I said, tell me about it. My husband hates it. And, you know, it's not good for our marriage. It's not good for our marriage bed. It's not good for us. And I said, can I help you try something tonight? And so I worked with her in front of the 150 people as a practical practicum on box breathing. And box breathing do you know what box breathing is? Box breathing is where you inhale for four seconds. So you make a box, you go in and you hold it 
and you take your finger and it goes across the top for four seconds and then you exhale for four seconds and then you don't breathe again for four seconds and then you inhale go up the box four seconds and so then you go across the box holding your breath and you go down the box and it takes four seconds to exhale like and then hold your breath and you can do rectangles or you can do boxes but the point is is that it takes work to think about breathing like that you can't think anything else while you're doing that and so some people then practice let's go to five inhale for five like hold for five out for five hold for five and we practice going fives to six to sevens to eights and see what you can do so that you then are focused on the inside about what's going on inside of you by your breathing versus the stuff that's going on around you so i said to her i just want you tonight when you have a panic attack when you wake up i'd like you just to do some box breathing i'd like you to do maybe fours try with four and see if you can do 10 fours in a row and so she said okay and the next day she came back in and i said hey how'd you sleep last night and she said it was phenomenal i fell back to sleep without any medications i said when she said when i was box breathing because i i got the panic out of my mind and the fear and the anxiety and i focused on this breathing internally and all of a sudden all that stuff went away and i was relaxed and all of a sudden i just fell back to sleep and so there are some people when they get into a, a an mri they go into the tube and that tube is claustrophobic so we say we want you to close your eyes and just begin to box breathe and just begin to focus on the you on the inside versus the tube that's on the outside and can you do that box breathing and so uh, they find that they don't have anxiety and panic because they're not in the tube anymore. They're inside themselves and they're, they're doing a game and the game is practicing the breathing. Mark Devine had an experience where he was a Navy SEAL in a one man submarine and he was down about 300 feet and the submarine became disabled. And when it became disabled, they tell on the inter said the intercom, um, Mark, we got a problem here. We can't bring you to service. And we don't know how long it's going to take. And all of a sudden, Mark's first thought was, oh, no, I'm in my coffin. I'm in my one-man coffin, underwater, disabled. And so he went into his training and began to box breathe and blocked out all those thoughts in his mind about fear, panic, the submarine, how long it's going to take, and just began to do his box breathing and got up to the eights and the nines. And after two and a half, three hours, they put on the intercom and said, hey, Mark, we figured it out. We'll bring you to the surface. And they said, what did you do with the panic underwater when you're stuck in that submarine? He said, I blocked it out. And I just went inside myself with meditation. And the meditation was using my box breathing. And I began to breathe and speak to myself and block out the fear and the panic of being in a one-man sub disabled. So we, we teach con mental control through breathing and it works for athletes, works for military, it could work for people who don't wanna be on meds. It can, you, you can take control of your mind and not think other thoughts than the thoughts that you want to think. And that takes practice. It's called being in a mind gym. 
you go to a physical gym workout, and then you go to your mind gym and you work out. And you do that two or three times a day when you get up in the morning or at lunchtime or before you go to bed, you meditate or something, and you can learn to be at peace and think your thoughts and not the ticker tape of thoughts that just want to come in your brain. That's how powerful breathing is. And you're right, it sounds really simple, but it's not easy because it takes practice. We need to practice every day. Do you have a um, guided meditation? Do you do that? Do you offer that online somewhere? I don't, no. I find that there are so many good meditations out there uh, for different kinds of people with the things that they want to meditate on. And so um, I have the things that work for me mentally for, for my life. I find that those aren't the same for others. Some are much more uh, Eastern minded um, than Western minded. Some are much more uh, mindful in the way they attempt to do their things. Some have different mantras and, and chants where we would say positive self-talk. They would have a mantra or chant that they would use. So I, I leave it up to them to explore, to find out how they want to develop their meditation practice. Yeah. So it's very unique. Yeah, it depends. Question came to mind. It's a bit after the topic. So you had a heart attack and you have been a healthy or considered a healthy person pretty much all your life for so many years. So I'm wondering what went wrong. Did you find out the cause of that? Yeah, I did. Um, in the book, it talks about how I wanted to do an experiment. Uh, I want to see if I could grow older and stronger versus older and more frail or weak. And so I went into a training period of three years to take on five endurance events. And one of the endurance events was a Navy SEAL Hell Week, 50-hour nonstop Hell Week. And I wanted to see if I could survive it and do it at 66 years old. And I'd be the oldest guy to ever, ever attempt it. And so um, right after that, I did my 12th Ironman. And right after that, I did the seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. And, and the point was to prove that we can choose how we age. And if we focus and eat right, sleep right, train right, we don't have to just be seniors that are getting more frail, can't get on the floor with our grandkids, um, be obese, have big stomachs, uh, not sleep well, blah, blah, blah. So in one of those, um, the doctor said, you, you, you blew your, your, um, your artery. And I said, what does blow your artery mean? He said, it's like you put too much air in a bicycle tire. It blew. And I said, oh, he said, what kind of pressure did you put on your heart and artery to cause yourself to blow an artery? And I chuckled and laughed. And I said, which time? <laughs> would, it be, would it be during the seven marathons or would it be, be through that Navy SEAL 50-hour nonstop in, in and out of the ocean, in the sand, up and down mountains? You know, there was a number of things I did that were pressure-packed that would cause me to pushed too hard on my heart. Anyway, he said, we don't see blown arteries very often. And I said, it's okay. You know, I just, I did it to myself uh, in, in one of my events. And he said, oh, okay. You going to do those events anymore? I said, yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good idea. Not. 
Um, yeah. And that also makes me think about um, self-love. This is one of the topics that I talk a lot with some of my guests, perhaps all of them. Uh, do you believe in unconditional self-love? You know, yes and no. Um, I, I believe that I'm supposed to like myself. I believe I'm, I'm supposed to, you know, I, I can love myself. I also know, though, that I'm, I, I'm screwed up. I have issues. There, there is no perfect person. There is no perfect family. And the person who says that they don't have any problems or issues uh, probably has the most problems and the most issues. So I believe I'm supposed to love myself, but I also believe I'm not supposed to lie to myself. And when I'm being a jerk or when I'm being selfish, I don't want to say, well, I just love myself and I deserve to be whoever I want to be. I say, you know, I like myself. I love myself enough to look in the mirror and tell myself the truth that I probably ought to go ask for forgiveness and say, I was a jerk. I shouldn't have acted like that. Will you forgive me? And so I don't want to be too focused on me loving me. I want to be focused on me taking care of me and me being as mentally healthy as I can be and physically responsible for the gifts and talents that I believe God's given me. But I also want to love others. And there's a scripture that is very good. It says, give and it should be given unto you. And uh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so I find that if I'm always giving love, I find love comes back to me. But if I'm always trying to be self-loving myself, I don't always get love coming towards me because people think, God, you're really self-centered, pretty, pretty narcissistic. So I want to have balance. I want to you know, I want to be the best person I can be, but I also want to be loving to others, which means I'll probably, you know, if I give a handshake, I'll probably get a handshake back. If I give a smile to somebody, it's pretty hard for them to frown at me. They'll probably smile back. You know, if I, if I say something nice to somebody, they probably won't say something mean to me. So I set up my world by what I give, not what I get. And so every day when I walk out of the house, I start my day thinking, I'm going to plant good things out there, which makes me feel better. And I get a better response from people because it's hard for them to say something mean or do something mean or be selfish if I'm not being that way towards them. You know, place, you know but if you have road rage, you know, then you have to get a hold of your mind. Yeah. You know, and that person flips you off and you didn't do anything wrong. You just have to get a hold of your brain real quick and say, it's all right. It's no big deal. Let it go. <laughs> and so I, I have to work on myself a lot. I love what you said about not lying to ourselves, too. That's so wonderful. Yeah, being well, strong I, enough to tell the truth. Yeah. I, just, I just think that if you live long enough, you know yourself. And you know the good side of you. And you know the not so good side of you. You know when you're being kind and sweet and listening and sensitive. And you know when you're just being a jerk and you're just saying, screw it. I'll do what I want to do, you know don't like it get out of my way and you know we all know each other we know i mean we know we know ourselves and um looking in the mirror um you know you can either say uh, the truth or you can just keep uh saying the same old lie that's got you in the same hole for the last 20 years yeah what is the meaning of freedom to you what is to be free the ability to say no Yeah, it's so challenging for us, especially women, I would say, to say no. 
You know, I couldn't say women or men, one's tougher than the other. I have three girls and two boys. Um, I just know that for me, when you ask that word of freedom, um, personal freedom is the ability to say no. And most people, if they're emotion-based, don't have um, the freedom to say no because they do whatever their emotion dictates at the moment. Whether it's eat ice cream or have a drink or just cuss somebody out because they feel like it. Um, and I work on saying no to myself a lot so I can say yes in other areas. Mm, yeah, this is something that I have here from your book. It's a powerful statement. Yeah, and you say you must learn to say no if you're going to yes. Yeah. Would be another conversation, learning the steps of how to do that. What do we have to do first? Work on ourselves, right, Robert? Knowing ourselves, perhaps. You know what? I, when I work with my students or when I work with training guys and stuff, it's, it's, um, it starts with just a, a little thing like, um, I'm just not going to smoke 20 cigarettes today. I'm going to smoke 19 or I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat that crap food that I always eat um, in the morning. I may do it in the afternoon, but I'm, I'm going to say no to something. There's a book out called Habits. And in the book Habits, it studies cultural habits, family habits, personal habits. It, it studies how do you change habits. And it, the, the thesis is just one step at a time. And so if you can learn to say no to something which gives you a win, because you said no to it, normally you say yes to it then you can go, you know, I had a win today because I didn't eat that, I didn't say that, I didn't think that, um, like I normally do. And that encourages you to have another win the next day. And day after day, if you'll say no to something, start somewhere and just say, that's not who I want to be, or that's not the way I want to live, or that's not, that's not what I want to look like, or that's not what I want to think, and you begin to say no and challenge yourself, then in the struggle, which everyone should be struggling, I believe, every day. Everyone should be attempting something difficult in and on themselves every day because that's where life is found is when you get those wins taking yourself on and you're, you change your mind and your mindset by doing stuff you know you want to do, but it's hard to do. And it's in the struggle that you find happiness and you find life, and you find freedom. And so we do that. We, we say, where do you want to start? And it could be as small as, you know, whatever it is. I'm only going to eat, you know, three bowls of ice cream instead of 10 or something. And just, just start somewhere and then like that and tell. And then if you have accountability, did you get your win today? And they say, I did. I didn't do this. I normally would do that especially with that person or with that situation or after dinner or something like that. And then you say, great, uh, how'd it feel? And they say, it was wonderful. I, I felt I feel like I had a real win. Good, would you like to have that win tomorrow? And how can I help you? How can I encourage you to get that win tomorrow? And then you ask them again. They get, and they get two days, three days, four days in a row of getting a win. And pretty soon there's an excitement inside of them that says, wow, this is really fun. I, I really do want to lose five pounds or 10 pounds or a hundred pounds, or I really don't want to snap at somebody and cut their 
take their head off with my my response. I want to just take a deep breath and think and not say what I really want to say. And I don't do it. And I don't have to say I'm sorry later, you know, you just practice doing difficult things. And uh, that's where life is found. That's an interesting perspective that makes me wonder if we can learn from others without going through struggles and challenges. Do you think it's possible? Yeah, you know, when you're young, you think you're just living, but the older you get, you say, I want to learn from somebody else's mistakes. I don't want to have to make them all. Like like my, my student body president at my high school, you know, he's still in a diaper today uh, in a wheelchair because he took too many tabs of acid. And when drugs were in my high school, um, mescaline, psilocybin, acid, you know, everybody said, should I experiment? And so you could say, yeah, I want to experiment or, but we have four baseball players who are dead because they got stoned and burned the house down on top of themselves. And student body president is still in a diaper because he blew his brain. So do I, is it worth it for me to go down that road just to learn, just to experience all of life? Or do I want to learn from somebody else's mistakes? And so hopefully I've got to a place where I'd like to minimize pain in my life. And, and so I, I try not to make all mistakes. I let other people make some too. And um, I try to learn from their mistakes, whether it's in finances or relationships or whatever it is. So how did you become a writer? What was the intention of writing your book, Beyond Average? People asked me, how have I done the things in my life that I've done? And I don't think it was any big deal, you know. And then when I when I knocked out these five events and I got classified as the, the mentally toughest, physically fittest 66-year-old in the world by Spartan Games, um, people said, "What's it, how do you do this? What, what kind of a world do you live in? And I thought, well, it seems sort of simple to me, but I guess it isn't simple. So maybe I should write about it. Uh, I never had an ego. People have been saying to me for years, what, when are you going to write your book? And I have no ego drive to write a book. But when they said, can you explain your way of thinking? Because we'd like to attempt things too. We just don't know how to do what you do. And so um, when I started telling my stories of this is the way I thought to accomplish whatever it was I accomplished, and this is what I did to have to set myself up, then people began to call all the time. Will you train? you coach me and this and that and the things that I took for granted that were sort of simple for me because the coaching I had in my life I found it wasn't simple for others and I wanted to help others so I wrote it down and I put my email in there and said if you read the book and you want to email me I'll be happy to converse with you and I get you know I get these letters from all over the world saying hey hey dude I tried this or you know that's blah 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 and I've just finished it almost finished a second book And the second book is how to do the first book. And so the steps that I've used, the seven steps I've used to accomplish near impossible things. And it comes because um, I train special ops kids, girls and guys. Uh, We've never had a Navy SEAL girl. We've never had a Navy SEAL pararescuman. We've just got our first and second Army Ranger woman, which is a great breakthrough. But we have classes of like 150 candidates come in at a time, Air Force or Navy SEAL or whatever. And they all think that they're going to do great. 
and then one by one they quit. And usually each class graduates out of the 150, about 15 or 20 after two years of training. And all the ones that quit uh, got crushed and they were overwhelmed like I shouldn't have ever tried it or, you know, this or that. And we as parents or grandparents or as instructors say, no, 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 no. You had the talent and the ability. You just didn't train right. You didn't think right. You didn't develop your mind as well as your body. And so if you if you would have listened to the right people and had the right mentorship, you could have done what you attempted to do, but you didn't train mentally and physically, emotionally correctly for what you were going to encounter and it crushed you. And I get so tired of talking to these young people that are so bright and so gifted and then so crushed and they quit. And I look in their eyes and their dream is dashed. And it's like, um, I say to them, this was a great learning experience. Will you come back and try again next time with what you've learned? And almost 99% of the time, they never come back. They're just crushed. They never want to try it again. So I, I want to be an encourager to kids and say, you're smarter than you think. You're more gifted than you think. You're able to do far more than you think. And that 20x principle is there is 20 times more potential in everybody than they've ever allowed someone to bring out of them. And you can't bring it out of yourself because it's too much pain. It's emotional pain, relational pain, physical pain. And when pain overwhelms you, you'll make bad emotional decisions like quitting. So you have to have somebody who says, I know what you're feeling and I know what you're going through, but you don't have to quit. And they mentor you how to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. And all of a sudden you're outside your comfort zone, but it's not overwhelming and you've learned it. And now you can handle more than you thought you could handle. So I wrote both of those books because I want people to make their dreams and be the people they want to, but there's going to be a lot of pain involved to change and change isn't fun. You know, it's saying no, yeah. <laughs> none yeah. of us like to say yeah. no to ourselves all the time. unless the goal is really good. <laughs> so true, Robert. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Cause we do need that motivation and this is, or this push. And that resonates so much, this idea that we need other people to guide us, not all the time, but in certain areas of our lives. So that is so true. I do believe in self-empowerment, that you can be your own guide, or the your intuition, your heart will tell you what to do next and how to do it. But yeah, I do understand the power of being guided by people who know have been through certain experiences. Sure. That's why, that's why seniors are supposed to be able to mentor young people because they've been there, done that. But here's a thought. Here's this, the self-empowerment thing is a dangerous thing because, you know, we were raised a certain way, whether it's white, black, Asian, a certain age group. We're raised in the South or the North or Northwest or California or Africa. So we have a paradigm of how we think. And inside of our mind, let's say we have the amount of thoughts one through 10, but that's because that's the only thing we've ever seen in our lives. But the world is thinking 11 to infinity. 
But we can't think those thoughts because we've never been introduced to those thoughts. So we're limited on what we can self-do because we don't have the, the insight or the wisdom or the thoughts to say, I never thought that before. It never occurred to me before. Well, who taught them that? How come they didn't teach me that? I've never known that. I'm 60 years old, and it's the first I've ever heard of it. And it's sad because we're all stuck with this limited mind, and we try to make our best decisions with that limited mind, but we don't have all those thoughts that we need. So we need to go to somebody and say, tell me how you thought that, or tell me how you accomplished that, or tell me what you were thinking, or did your parents raise you differently the way my parents raised me, or my school, or my coaches, or how did you do that? I can't even imagine that. And then they tell you the process and you go, oh, and your world opens up because it never crossed your mind to be able to think like that. I always, I always say to people, what questions should I ask you that I don't even know how to ask you? And they just go, well, and they share something with me that would have never crossed my mind to ask them. I didn't know how to ask it. So I, I really believe that, that we glean wisdom not just from within. We glean wisdom from others and from reading and experiences. And we, we should be the sum total of all these thoughts that come to us that we get to choose which ones are good for us, which ones are not, and how to build. Like, you know, if you don't know how to, if you don't know how to make money, then don't stay broke by just thinking your same thoughts over and over again. You know, if you're not in good relationships, well, then don't keep doing the same thing. I asked this guy on his fourth wife, I said, hey, dude, I mean, you've been through three wives. You're marrying this fourth wife. What, what's up? He said, oh, those women, they're all, they're all miserable. I said, dude, you're stupid. It's you. It's not the wives. It's you. You're a jerk. And he looked at me and said, no, no, I'm telling you, you're a jerk. And you're going to go through this fourth one like you did the first three. But he couldn't think any different. You know, that's just his paradigm. So relationships or money or education or Stuff, if you always do what you've always done, if you always thought what you've always thought, you'll always get what you always got. And you need to get outside your world and say, there's somebody who knows more than I do in this topic. Um, where can I go humble myself and say, will you please tell me how you think the way you do or who taught you? Because I, I, I would like to do what you do. I just don't know how to do it. Yeah, so we're almost at the end. And I made so many notes here, I won't be able to go through all of them. But I think we talked about almost everything that I had here. So I have a few more questions for you, Robert, I call them final questions. Before I ask them, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? You know, probably not that I would probably just say, um, to the listener, yeah. life is about self discovery. And you've got to work at it. And you won't always like what you discover. And you need to then be man enough or woman enough, mature enough to then take on the, the things inside you that you're not proud of or are not good. And um, that's where living is. Because when you finally stop not liking, when, when you finally stop finding those things in you that you don't like, and you've overcome them and you've changed, you'll be a happier person. And so it takes work, as you mentioned, to change the way you think and getting control of your mind and maturing as a person and, um, and growing as a person. And it's painful, uh, but it's necessary. And if you're always trying to get away from pain, you'll always stay stuck in your stuff. And uh, then you blame others and you won't have a happy life. So you, we all need to work on our stuff. 
I have three more questions for you. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself in life as of today? Fair enough. <laughs> and oh, you want to add to that? <laughs> no, I just know that I'm wired. <laughs> I'm wired from someplace deep within that uh, I can just be really selfish with my time, with my thinking, with my reactions. Um, it takes work for me to focus outward and to be caring and considerate and kind and opening doors for people and pulling out chairs and thinking for others and trying to put myself in other people's shoes versus just knee-jerking with my first thought that it's the best thought. And um, it, I'm just a selfish person. And um, it's, you know, I got 60 plus years of working on, hey, you know, you're selfish, stop it. You know, you change. <laughs> Thank you for being authentic and honest, Robert. Um, that is um, a very courageous thing to say. <laughs> and you did mention something in your book, interesting. You said it's really tough to be Christ-like, being kind, forgiving all the time, loving, compassionate. Yeah, you know, what I, what I meant by that is like, most people see the outside and they say, look at all the things that you've done, Robert. I mean, those things are really hard from jumping out of planes to, you know, all this physical activity and special ops military and blah, blah, blah. What's the toughest thing you've ever done? And I say to them, the toughest thing I've ever done is to wrestle with myself. And, and I know that I, there's a better person inside of me that I, than I always, or than I often exhibit. And I have to work on every day being kinder, gentler, sweeter. I don't have a problem being macho, you know, you know, I, I get, when you're, when you're supposed to be the, the mentally toughest 66-year-old in the world, um, they think you're a stud. But that's not the issue. It's not the stuff on the outside. It's, it's the wrestling with your own internal, I know who I am and I, I shouldn't be like this. That's, and I said Christ-like, you know, because you know, I may think Jesus is a good guy, but I'm so far away from being that kind of a guy unless I really work on it and say no and then, and then change. So it's working on the inner me is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently or even regret anything that you have done? You know, I've tried to walk in the light that I've had all my life. And so I have made mistakes, but at the time, I did the best I knew how to do, and it was still a mistake. Um, I don't have um, any regrets. I have, um, I, I think about my five kids and my wife, and I think about how I could be a better husband or a better father, encourager to my kids and grandkids. And I think about that stuff. But if I was to say, you know, I got 10 minutes to live, would you make a phone call? I'd probably try to get a, a group phone call and say, hey, guys, I gave my best shot. I'm out of here. Um, you know, forgive me for everything I did wrong. And, um, you know, thanks for loving me through all my stuff. Would you do anything differently when you wake up in the morning? Would you change the way you live if you knew you wouldn't be here next month, let's say? That's wonderful to hear. My last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of today? I know that um, 
every day I plant seeds. I plant seeds of love and kindness and um, patience, or I plant the seeds of uh, bitterness and anger and resentment and hurtful words and those things. And whatever I plant, it's a seed, but it never comes back out of the ground as a seed. It comes out of the ground as a bush or a tree with lots of seeds. And so I know that every day I'm planting things that are going to come back on me and they're going to come back bigger than the way I planted them. So I work every day on planting positive, good, uh, kind things to everybody from a gate guard guy to somebody I don't know. And I, I try to, I just all day long try to do nice things, good things, kind things, uh, because I know I want those same kind of things to come back on me in my life. It's, you know, it's, it's called the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. Um, I know that. I know, too, that I need every day to work on self-work of my heart and my mind. And thirdly, I know that um, I have a temple, and this temple is my body. And I know that um, I don't want to get to heaven and have God say to me, Hey, Owens, what are you doing here? I gave you a temple and you, you blew it. Like the red light was shining in the dashboard and you did nothing about the oil that was going dry. And so you even took a hammer to it and, and broke the red light. And just kept driving. And now you wonder why the, the car broke down. Uh, it's because you didn't take care of the temple that I gave you that was supposed to run and operate well for you. And so I speak to audiences a lot on um, don't just invest in your 401k for when you get old. Don't just invest in your pension plan to get old or your muni bonds or your, you know, your, all your stuff. You want to have a body that when you get to 60, it still is operating versus all that money that you saved going to the doctors and the hospitals, and the pharmaceuticals, because your body's all messed up. So I tell people to invest an hour a day in their health, like they're investing in their 401k so that when they get to a certain age, they're healthy and they can do things and they can not feel limitations. And I have so many friends with diabetes and with high blood pressure and heart disease and types of cancers and things that were all preventable, but they didn't invest wisely in their body. And then they wonder why they're sick, feeble, and go to the doctors all the time later on in life. And I say, you reap what you sow. You, you, you didn't take care of your car. You never changed the oil. And you wonder why it's broken down on the side of the road. And you get mad. And you deserve it. Because that's, that's the way you treated your car. And I was speaking to a Mensa group. You know, Mensa is the, the genius association. And I was speaking to the Mensa Association of Southern California to all these geniuses. And there was a room of probably 150, 200. And all these people came in on, on walkers and on canes. And I'd say... You know, three quarters of the room was obese. And they, I said, you know, you can be smart and live stupid, you guys. You, you didn't, you're really smart, but, but how many of you are sick and you wish you weren't as sick as, as you are? They all raised their hand, people start crying. I said, why did you let yourselves go in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s? To now, you have these broken down bodies. And it's going to take a lot of work to get, to regain that kind of sense of health. So I tell people, 
If I know anything, invest an hour a day in your health so that your, your temple, your car will run as long as it's supposed to run and not have any regrets. Thank you so much, Robert, for your wisdom, your presence. I love how genuine you are and how generous you are too for sharing your knowledge, your message with us. So thank you for that. Sure, may I say one last thing? Yeah, absolutely. To all, to all the listeners who are listening today, what I would like you to do is to write an email to um, Fit for Joy and say, this is what I got out of this. And it's fun because um, you're all hearing something different, but um, our hostess would love to know what you heard and get feedback. And so please write an email or a text if you know or a call or say, hey, that guy, I learned this, this, and this, or I thought the guy was a jerk. Don't ever have him back. You know, but give give feedback so that our hostess can know how to do more programming and help you guys. So mm. that's what I want. Yeah, that's wonderful. And my last question is, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? You know, my website is my name, Robert Hamilton, like the stage play Hamilton, uh, roberthamiltonowens.com. And if they want to write me, I'll probably answer their, their uh, email or write it back. Yes. Thank you so much again, Robert, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Thomas. Goodbye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Robert Owens and his work, please visit roberthamiltonowens.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.